James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, bro? I'm doing all right, mate. How are you? I'm good, too. Um, Classic is a podcast where James and I talk about a topic, or at least just talk about <laughs> something. <laughs> goes, off, goes off course real quick. Um, this one's meant to be about friendships and what the hell friendships are. So I thought, um, you basically started this, you know, what did James send me on my birthday this year? Basically a bunch of swear words um, and then some avocados in emojis. I don't know what the avocado emojis meant. Um, but it was like, <laughs> happy birthday, swear words, swear words, swear words, swear words, avocado, avocado, avocado. And then this year, I forgot to send James a text message on his birthday, um, which wasn't good. Um, but I think it, it went from when we were little. Do you remember, like, think, I used to think about getting you a really good present. Um, and now I forgot your birthday. You know, <laughs> I still consider you one of my very best friends. <laughs> and I don't think this is any way reflecting the fact that I value our friendship less. It's just yep. that I think the shape of our friendship has changed from... What present am I getting? <laughs> and that's, 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 I don't know, as if you're eight years old, friendship equals present quality, right? <laughs> if you're good friends, you, you get a great present. <laughs> and if you're bad friends, you get like a card or something. And now I forget yep. your birthday and you don't care, I'm assuming. Yep. But yeah. No, you, you get emojis and swear words. That's the yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the avocado emoji meant to me? Well, I'm, I'm going to have to look it up, Duck. I don't remember sending you avocado emojis. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I don't understand. It's like, Happy birthday, swear words, swear words, swear words, swear words, swear words, avocado, avocado, avocado. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Oh. Well, like, maybe I was, like, confusing it with mangoes because we all know how much Duncan likes mangoes. Okay. So, so there, it's, yeah. <laughs> there was no reason. Oh, well, it's fun. It's fun, like, um, I think, remember I used to say, the only present I want is your presence. Mum used to tell me that when I was, like, mm. a, a teenager. And I was like, worst present ever, <laughs> presents. <laughs> Um, but now, like this is, the, this is the truth. Like in some respects, this podcast is us just spending time with each other, right? Um, and to me, um, they say that like you know, no money um, means you're sad, but money doesn't make you happy. It just means you're free, right? You're free to make your own choices. Yeah. And to me, that doesn't make you happy though, because you can still make bad choices. Um, some things money can buy. Like if you go to a nice restaurant, you can pay for it, right? But other things money can't buy. The presence of somebody. Um, who you enjoy spending time with. Um, and I think it used to be, I don't know, there were interesting people and not interesting people. But now it's sort of, interest comes from the, the um, I don't know, the, the, the joining or the emergent layer of interacting with James, right? It's not that James is per se interesting or not. It's when I talk with James, I find that there's interesting things that happen. Uh, if that makes sense. Whereas, well, it's not James. Thanks for the vote of confidence there. It's not that I'm interesting. <laughs> no, no, but you know what I mean? It's, it's different, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's changed. And so, honestly, like... Well, it's subjective. Yeah. The, 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 the best thing is, and maybe when we were younger, we were playing Nintendo. Like, us hanging out with playing Nintendo or a board game or going, you know, to the beach or something. And now, almost all hanging out is talking. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. just, it's presence, if you want to call it that. It's like actual intellectual mind. And this... Um, so to me, the game is now a podcast, you know, whereas the game before was like GoldenEye 64, <laughs> best game ever. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, I will say uh, in, in Duncan's defense, uh, he might have forgotten my birthday, but he's the only person outside of my immediate family who remembers my two girls' birthdays. And mm. it's even in such a way that he will text me, I think it's about a week before, it's like, dude, what's your address? I'm like, that's odd. Why is he asking for my address? <laughs> it would only click a couple of days later. Ah, oh, it's, it's Izzy or Chloe's birthday coming up. And so there's that element. And the second part is 
I did actually send you that birthday message at around about 9.45 p.m. So yeah, it was fine. very... You're on the day. No one's going to... You be in there at 9 a.m. Very close call. Yeah. Um, and then I completely, uh, I can completely relate to the idea of what did it mean to celebrate one's friendship on their first day by yeah. way of presence. So I think I did this for at least a few years recently where your birthday would be coming up. I'd be like, I'm going to surprise Duncan with a present and I'm going to find something really funny or like <laughs> fun. And I'll go online and I'll look at stuff. And I'm like, this is cool. But then I won't end up buying it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just feel good about myself for thinking that I would do it. Do you rather than actually... Well, funny um, about this of presents. So um, as you get older, hopefully you earn a bit more. And I wasn't earning any money as like a teenager or something, right? Or late, mm. but like, you know, at school. And so I suppose money's in deficit, but I don't have two children like James um, and stuff. And so maybe my overheads are a little bit lower. Um, probably maybe. they are. And so I, you know, I suppose I don't, you know, I used to, I basically have enough money now not to really need to think too much about money. Like I don't think I'm prolific per se, but I used to need to think about money a little bit. And so what I do now is I'll find things that I want. So somehow I'm not searching the internet. And then when you get that shipping thing, you know how there's like, oh, you can get it really fast or medium or slow. I always get yep. the super slow one, right? If it's overseas mm. and it comes like a month later and I forgot oh. what it was and it's like a present for myself and you're like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and so like once, once a week, there's probably this thing that like rocks up and I've, I've, I've forgotten because it was like, literally the longer the better because you get like this double present. If you're like, oh, yeah, I, want that, yeah. I want that. And then it comes in like, oh my God, yes. Um, and so the anticipation is a little bit nice. like. I'm getting this custom rug from I didn't know these people that make it in Canada. And there was this like it was like two hundred dollars to get it sent by DHL or something, or it was twenty bucks to get it put on a ship, if that makes sense. And one mm -hmm. took like two days and one takes two months. And I was like, two month one. And now I get this like anticipation of like waiting for it and I think about it every now and then and I'm like happy that it's coming sort of thing. It's like upside down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think one thing that is uh does seem quite apparent is Duncan is Duncan's own best friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Which, I think that's, you're one of the first things they say, if, if you're lonely when you're by yourself, you're in poor company. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And so definitely I used to get lonely when I was by myself. Um, if I wasn't doing anything on a Saturday night, I'd get a bit sad. You know, this is like 10 years ago. Um, or if something was on and I wasn't going, I couldn't really relax at home. I had to get FOMO. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to yeah. try to not, you know, go, just have a quiet one. I went out last night, no, you know, drank more than I probably should have. And then you sit there and you can't. So it used to be, if there's nothing on, I felt bad. And if there's something on, I didn't go, I felt bad. Do you know what I mean? It was like, in hindsight, I was in like, not the, the greatest relationship with myself. I wasn't in a, like, I think obviously, you know, some people have very bad, but I yeah, think I th being comfortable in your own skin is, is one of the keys to life. They talk about three well, I, relationships, yeah. sorry. You I, I yourself, you and a partner, and then you, you with your job. I didn't know I was in a relationship with myself for so long. Yeah, I, I think this is quite a um, you know an important notion. This idea of being friends with yourself first, like whatever the quote is, to love oneself at the beginning of a lifelong friendship. And I mean, what we're talking about here is like Not what is kind the of teenage loving yourself, James? Bad, bad. Hey, don't worry, that was a poor joke. <laughs> okay, uh, uh, so now I've lost my train of thought. But it's just thinking about lifelong relationship. Yeah. And you can probably think about it 10 years ago or more like nearly 20 years ago, Duncan. We're actually that old. Uh, <laughs> we were more in the socialized mind when you mm, think totally. about how we defined our own 
identity. Mm. It was largely determined, I would um, posit based on Keegan's theory of uh, adult development or adult brain development, it was largely determined by the relationship we had with our friends. And so it would be exactly that, where if you were alone on a Saturday night, you would probably feel like, you know, you would have FOMO, you were missing out. But I think more than that, you didn't actually have a, a solid foundation for you to have enough, I guess, um, clarity around, well, you know, what is the good use of my time? Because if I'm spending it by myself, that by default seems to be a bad use of time. Mm. I mean, so... I think I, in hindsight, didn't know much. Well, that's obvious. You're not born knowing anything, right? <laughs> um, and I think you can slowly gather more knowledge, but you can also create knowledge. I didn't know that as well. Um, I just thought you just like, some people read and learned others' knowledge and other people didn't read. But I also think you can create knowledge. Anyways, the point is, is that I think over time, I've learned more from others. And I've actually also, I believe, starting to make some knowledge myself. And so mm. I think most of it's gone from, well, I have to do an activity. I have to play Nintendo. I have to go to the beach or something. I have to go out and meet new people. To the activity is just playing with others' knowledge and or making knowledge myself, maybe by myself or maybe with some other people, if that makes sense. Whereas mm. that, that activity, which I kind of see that there's like, you can laugh, you can relax, you can, you can build, you know, through that. So it's really, you know, sort of, sort of I suppose, flexible activity. It was not an activity that was easy to do for 18-year-old Duncan because he didn't know much and the people he hung around with didn't know much. Whereas I hope to God, you know, 37-year-old Duncan knows more than 18-year-old Duncan. Um, and some people have spent a lot of time reading and actually making knowledge themselves, like hours and hours a week, and others spend almost no hours a year. Um, and so it's funny. Some people, I suppose, are as interesting or as knowledgeable as they were when they're 18, and others, it's like totally different. So my mm. idea of fun now is not as impossible as 18, you know. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's two parts that I think is really interesting to explore in this topic. One is, like, what is a friend? Like, it seems almost foolish to ask that question, but the, the more you shine a light on it, the, the more elusive, a clear and cohesive definition appears to um, you know, arise. But then the other is like, why have friends? Like, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> well, again... Oh, I need like, chocolate. I'm good. It, yeah. It's one of those things I feel like, I, I don't know about you, Duncan, but I go through life yeah. with all of these... Um, assumptions or the preconceived notions I have in my head and it's only when somebody asks me like why this or like in this case why have friends you stop and realize I've never actually asked myself that question and I don't have an answer immediately available to me um, and like this is one of the benefits of having children done because they are in you know incessantly curious about understanding the world around them so they'll ask you questions that are basic on the surface level but really hard to answer coherently if you give it more than you know 10 seconds worth of thought so like let's try and see if we can explore this like what do you think a friendship is well this is the thing i think it's one of the most flexible things there are so there are some things yep. that have a ceiling yep. like water just isn't full of uh i don't know disease or poisoned you know once it's clean water it doesn't really get much better it's just h2o right mm. um but other things don't have a ceiling uh, they say that the human mind is the most complex thing in the known universe, right? And so I would argue that the human mind is one of the most ceilingless, and in my opinion, the most ceilingless thing that I'm aware of, right? And a friendship, I suppose, is just two human minds interacting in some way. And because a human mind is, in my opinion, ceilingless, therefore, this is one of the most 
you know, diverse things there is. Like if it's like, what's a pen? Like, yeah, that a pen writes on a page, right? <laughs> Whereas what is, what is a human mind? What's well, anything, right? Well, it's the most ability to be anything that of anything we know or of I know and to yep. anything's doing whatever is extraordinarily flexible. But I suppose my mind wasn't in anything when I was 18. It was a small bit of not much, you know, <laughs> interacting with other small not muches, doing repetitive mm. things over and over. Go out, meet new person, talk about something surface, have a few drinks, go out, meet new person, maybe try to, you know, um, join some of your bits for a minute. But this wasn't exactly a good, you know, I don't know, it's not my idea of what I want to spend my time doing now. So to mm. me, a relationship is just, or friendship is just two minds interacting. And that could be anything. Mm. Mm. So if I were to like imagine myself answering this question to like let's say a six-year-old mm. the, the simplest definition i can think of is, is two people willingly or um is wantingly a real word i don't know yeah it is, wantingly is a word. <laughs> yep. two people wantingly spending time together because yeah. they will get a an effect as a result of that time spent together that is net positive or more so than if they were spending it by themselves. So this, this is, is the not most to say romantic that... description of friendships ever. <laughs> well, the equation people... says one plus one is three. Friendship one plus one is three. There you go. Is he simple? Off you go. Now go play with your friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it's two people who want to spend time together. Like at at, at, its, at its simplest level, when you're thinking about what it means to be friends, it's like well. You, you know, we like spending time together. And it, it, it goes to more layers deeper than that in terms of, well, what did it mean to want to spend time together? Um, and I think that's where it kind of like gets a little bit, like you said, it's one of the least defined kinds of, um, you know, relationships out there because it can mean something so different for so many people. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I also find interesting is that it's not like it's a binary thing. Like you can have friendships within or, or like embedded within other relationships, like with your parents. You can have a friendship with your parents. You can have a friendship with your romantic partners. Um, you can have friendship with your colleagues, even though it might not be the primary relationship. It can also exist within that yeah. primary relationship. Well, I think maybe just getting a bit more real world. Like there are standard stories that society give you and that's what a socialized mind is. It's, it's basically mm. taking on board the standard stories in society without questioning. And then getting beyond that, it's starting to question them and they build your own stories. So one of them is that you need to find a romantic partner and that you need to have children. And if we didn't do that, we wouldn't have children and the human race would be dead. Uh, so this story is like a, you know, a given. Um, and to me, the standard story for the romantic partner since the romantic period, before it was just a sort of, I don't know, way to make more for humans, was that you want the everything partner. So this person mm. completes you. So to me, mm. the different types of partners, relax partner, party partner, activity partner, best friend partner, laugh partner, sex partner, parent partner, self-actualization partner, and that you want everything in one, you know, intellectual mm. companion and so on, right? To me, um, sure, that, that can be the case. Um, and I think if you're raising children, it's best to be in the same house together and it's best to have two people versus one and you can sort of share some of the load if you want to call it that. <clears throat> but I think that from my perspective, you don't have to have the everything partner. You can have different part- friendships being different things. So some of them might be a self-actualization partner and that could be at work. Some people's works is just to earn money. They're not actually growing themselves or building something necessarily new for the world. Um, mm. Some friends I've got, it's just, you see them when you're out and about at a dinner or at the pub and you laugh, you know, uh, and they're not, you know, they're different. Um, so to me, James, you know, and I think have been best friends and it's sort of shifted in, in different ways. And what does that mean? Um, so to me, 
this is really interesting. It's like, ah, okay. Well, I think one path to a life, good life, and there are no, there are many, many paths, is diverse relationship nutrition. And so, for instance, you might want to have multiple people in each one, multiple relaxed partners, multiple activity partners, multiple laugh partners, multiple mm. self-actualization partners, and that you can turn the amount of time up and down with them. But you're not like if one of them leaves and you're missing a core component that you think you want to have a good life. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so the, the idea of the everything partner is something I find you know, incredibly fascinating. Um, and my, I guess, opinion on that is, this is not something that we consciously try to cultivate in, um, you know, let's just say, our romantic partnership. I think this is actually a result of the way in which uh, you know, Western society has built uh, you know, its identity around creating a, you know, whether it's a nuclear family or just by um, you know, having the, the notion of coming together through marriage or through you know, a life partnership. Because when you think about you know, being an adult in today's modern world, if you have a life partner and you know, children, you are by almost default, at least in a general sense, very busy. And so you would, at least from my example, from, from my sense, I would spend around about 90% of my time if I, outside of work with my family being my partner and my children and so if we spend so much time with these this small group of people uh, understanding children might not necessarily play that role because they have a very defined um, you know dependence on you as a parent so we look to our life partner almost unconsciously as filling in all of these different roles that you laid out um, that we you know we yearn for or that we look look for in you know our relationships and so it's really hard if you don't approach this consciously and proactively to have a diverse set of relationships that fill these needs, one being romantic, one being, you know, intellectually stimulating, one being purely for fun and, you know, banter, other for, um, you know, being, you know, simply virtuous because, you know, this is someone who you take a lot of inspiration from. So I, I, I think what, um, you know, what has happened is very easy to happen, you know, for myself uh, particularly, is because we spend so much time with our life partner, we, I would say, unconscious or subconsciously, start to depend on them to be more than what would reasonably be requested of someone in that role that they play. That makes sense? Yeah, I'd say that's the standard story, but it doesn't have to be, right? No, um, no. To me, um, it's like, oh, if you find that person that completes you, and if it's not working, they're the wrong person. Not that the story might not be the yeah. right story for you. So yeah, me, I just want to say I, that this yeah. doesn't happen by design. It happens unconsciously. And if you no, don't no, bring awareness to it... some people, not all people, you're purporting that it is a strong thing for everyone, whereas it, I think, is for some people and perhaps mm -hmm. was your experience. And so to me, as an example, I started to try to design friendships consciously yeah. 10 years yeah. ago. And this is an example of one with James, where I was like, look, I think we're on the path to not being friends because we don't see each other in this different city. We don't really talk. When we were talking, it was surface. And so I was like, okay, well, what's something that I think could be fun? And so one part of our friendship is now this podcast. Um, and I think this is not the only part, but it is a core part. And I think it's something that I want to do with James, you know, indefinitely currently. And so to me, I think just as you would have a plan for your career, you know, I think you should plan for your life. <laughs> and now some parts of it, you know, you know, it's just like, I just want to not be thinking right now. So there's time to relax and to not need to be, I don't know, consciously mm. doing something. But mm. to me, um, I don't think you should just hope that a good life will land in your lap. I think you should be consciously thinking about what it is. And one core component for me anyway, 
is, well, what are the kinds of friendships that I want? And so this, and it's like, well, yeah, I definitely want some, I don't know, relaxed partner. You know, I want some party partners that go out and have fun. I'm going to a concert tonight and I'm looking forward to it, right? Some of these people I haven't seen in ages. Um, <clears throat> definitely want self-actualization. And sort of in most of these, there's more than one uh, person, do you know what I mean? Like, so that they're not overly dependent on me and I'm not overly dependent on them. That's sort of like if there's a dependency or a, like a supply demand mismatch, it often ends in, you know, not the greatest outcome. And so mm. to me, yeah, I, I didn't think this way, but as of from about 25 onwards, I've been thinking about it more and more and mm. trying to think about, you know, shifting and changing. Um, and it's just really good fun. So to me, yeah. um, life gets, I think, can get ever more interesting. Which year is the best year of your life? The next year, you know? Um, every year can and should be the best year of your life. And I think one component of that is thinking about, well, how do I think about what types of relationships I want and mm. what diversity and then how to help, for instance, give a relationship present to others. And so as an example, I think a, the podcast is a relationship present to James and my friendship. Um, the, the one that keeps on giving, you know, uh, instead of the, the Nintendo game that you finish or something. Mm. Well, there you go. That can be your birthday present, Duckett. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I completely agree. And I think by, um, you know, self-authoring your life in this way, mm. you know, thinking at least consciously on what to me constitutes a good life and how do I see that playing out in my relationships mm. is, is something I would posit not a great deal amount of people do. And if there is available to everyone, and one of the one of the ways I see this play out, at least when I read about it, um, as often as I do, is how people talk, um, I guess, consistently on the nature of friendships. Like it, it gets harder to make friends, and you also lose friends as you get older, as you go into adulthood. And like my observation is that like one of the things is like this is part of life. People move in and out of your life and that's, um, that's okay. But it seems also this more, I guess, reactionary notion that like because people are, well, because you, you can become blinkered in focusing on your family and maybe your work, you don't put the time required into nurturing your friendship. Because like this is why friendship is a, to me, a very different kind of relationship than everything else. Family, romantic partners, children, there's almost a formal structure to them. There's, there's something deeply, deeply implied in them. Whereas friendships, it's almost like if you don't water them, they won't grow. And so you can just very easily not give attention to a particular friendship and it will just naturally die out. Whereas if, for your example, Duncan, if you bring much more thought and awareness to it and you're thinking to yourself, look, this friendship is not going to last unless I do something about it. What would be a good thing to do? Then you can water that relationship and then it can blossom and it can grow and it become something else entirely. Mm. Well, I think, um, you know, I remember when I was 20, someone told me who was like 30, I don't know how they were, that I would never have more friends than I was at this time. And I looked at them thinking, but I've only ever gotten more friends, <laughs> do you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so to me, I suppose, it's the time I spend socializing now is massively lower, right? Like yeah. I'm talking about like four hours a week, <laughs> whereas it used to be like 20 hours or something, right? <laughs> um, but also the percentage of people that I, everyone was kind of similar when they're 18. I know that you're a bit different, but in hindsight, you're kind of not that different. Whereas now I think some people have spent a lot of time 
growing themselves in certain ways. And so I think, yeah. again, if your mind is what matters, not your might, your mind can be 10 times what it was when you're 18, but it can be also going in a totally different direction to somebody else. That doesn't mean they're not interesting, yeah. but people that have not developed their minds. To me, interested people are interesting. I don't care what you're interested in, just that you're interested in something. And it's mm. hard to be that interested in something when you're 18 because you have to spend a lot of time getting programmed at school and your time yeah. on top was spent doing not much useful, right? <laughs> so you, you need to basically learn stuff and build some of your own knowledge to be interesting. So to me, mm. if I spend massively less percentage of time socializing, and also some people are very interesting, but most people haven't necessarily done that much time being interested in something. Then the percentage yeah. of new people that I speak to that I find interesting is lower. You know, it used to be hundred percent. Now it's like, I don't know, 20% or something, right? Mm. Mm. And so to me, I think that's the sort of main articulation, but also I enjoy my time socializing way more <laughs> because I think that I'm more interesting. And I think the people yeah. I hang out are more interesting than the people yeah. that were when we were 20. And so yeah. I don't feel any deficit of like social time Mm. Having said which, I've got a job where I speak to people a lot, you know, yeah. and so yeah. other people do. And so to me, I've been sort of trying to figure out, I don't want more time socializing, I want more quality, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. I want to see how some of these things happen. Uh, so, yeah. Well, so that, to that kind of like the idea there is that if you've only got four hours a week to socialize, one can imagine you'll be far more selective of what you would spend that time doing and who you would want to spend it with. And mm -hmm. so that, to me, that idea of like, well, this is where quality takes precedence because I'm not going to, as I was when I was 18, be, you know, quite haphazard in, you know, who I hung out with and what I would do to get my social hours in. Uh, because, you know, when you're 18, like sure, there's plenty of personality that has come through, but I would say, as a general rule, you have, more um, of a like not a blank slate but like an open canvas in terms of who you are open you're still canvas. discovering <laughs> open blank book. canvas good <laughs> or blank canvas metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you're still kind of still figuring out who you are so you're still much more open that the aperture of who you would welcome into your friendship circle is much wider whereas I feel like when you're um, older and you move beyond the socialized mind to self-authoring I would say you have a, a higher sense of self and what your values are and what you want to spend your time doing it doesn't have to be just intellectual stuff it can be you know mindless fun but i would mm. say that that field has narrowed itself in such a way that that's where you're not only restricted by time but you're restricted by the type of people you could generally see yourself wanting to spend that time with as mm. well i think it's almost opposite like when i was 20 with james the goal was almost to go out and meet new people Right. Mm, mm -hmm. Whereas yep. now the goal is to spend time with quality people. Like I, I've got people that I want to spend time with. The more people that I know that I enjoy spending time with, then I have time to spend with them. So I have, I suppose, a, a surplus of good people that I know already that I want to spend time with. When I was 20, I had more time than I had. So I had a deficit of good people to spend time with. So it was almost the opposite. And so that's one of the reasons why meeting new people is less good. I'm like, well, I already haven't seen this person that I really enjoy spending time with in like six months. Why am I going to try to meet a new person who I don't know is an unknown quantity for someone who's a known quantity that's already not you know getting much attention? One thing I thought lends on this is something that I think a bunch about as well. I suppose um, I was talking to someone like, you're the most cerebral person I've ever spoken to, Duncan. And I was like, oh, that's a compliment. <laughs> uh, so different types of friendships. Um, so if I'm reading news or, or, or reading about stuff, some short term, some midterm, some long term, right? So some daily news, some midterms, normally things like, I don't know, blogs or, or magazine articles and long terms like books. I also think the same with friends. Some friends should be long-term, like five years plus or lifelong. Mid-term, one to five years. Short-term, you know, yearly. So you don't ever want to meet any new people. 
And so it's like, okay. And so one of the things that sort of happened in 2019 and then 2020 with COVID was not meeting anybody. But I, I realized that I'd been so busy with work that I had been just clamping out. I'd been cutting out stuff just to give myself space to kind of try to recharge or just to lie on the couch because there was nothing left, right? Mm, um, mm. And my meeting of new people had kind of dropped to zero. <laughs> um, and I was like, I want it to be more than zero. And so then I was like, okay, systematically, let's meet some new people. What, how are you going to do this? And so it was a fun lens to have. You should be mm. trying to meet some new people every year. Um, mm. and, and how does that look? Yeah. So, uh, and, and, and that's, I find, you know, could be a challenge for, for some people if they, if they don't know what they have available to them. But what I wanted to um, explore is what seems to be the universal notion of a best friend. Right, so like this is something I find is innate, uh, simply because when I had either one of my children at the ripe old age of three, so they haven't even had enough time, I would think, to be indoctrinated into cultural norms and values by what they watch or by who they listen to, you would hear them always talk about their best friend. And it was, you know, oftentimes relegated to one person that one person might only last a day or a week but it was always one person but this idea of there being somebody who kind of like sits outside of that circle of all of your other friends seems to me universally alluring and so why like why that is is something that like when I try to think about that um, I can only posit is that it actually serves a role much closer to that um, that intimate partner without the intimacy and that is having someone who you can be more yourself with than anyone else who, someone who can see you and you can see them in a, such a way that allows you to go deeper in your own self-awareness <laughs> than otherwise possible like I don't I'm know for, oh, like, sorry, I'm looking for a different light um, so the humans were in tribes uh, hunter-gatherers uh, 150 people Dunbar's number could do this and the head of the tribe was the most capable and there wasn't a nuclear family. Um, people were working together, hunting and gathering, right? And then we did agriculture. And so we could, instead of working for nature, nature worked for us. We had irrigation, we planted, you know, whatever, potatoes and we had animals, right? And so then what happened is you could pass down wealth. Prior to that, you couldn't pass down wealth because you couldn't, there were berries and beasts that were fixed on the land, right? Mm. And so then the people that did the best, so the, the tribe did the best had the best leader, right? So you had the most meritocratic outcome. Then if you could pass down wealth, the people that did the best inherited the most wealth. So everyone went around accumulating and anyone who didn't try to gather as much wealth and pass on to their kids, they got beaten by other kids because they started off better, right? And so through this, you had the forming of the nuclear family and the story behind this. So the reason for they needed to be the one because the people that valued that the most and then wanted to have children the most and then give them the better start had more children and gave them a better life and that they outbred other people. So it's an outcome of what optimized to humanity. One of the things that they say with relationships, why people stay into it, is this downside life insurance. If something goes bad, is someone going to be there to help me? Whereas if I don't have them, then I'm all by myself, right? And so they'll mm -hmm. stick around in things that aren't necessarily good because it's better than being alone. And if there's something bad happens, they're screwed. <laughs> and so to me, hey. I'd say that the downside side of best friend and why it's sort of around this is somebody it will be there when the going gets tough. That's one of the sort of major criteria. And not having this is like an impediment to being able to live a life. You, know, you just don't have any insurance. Um, mm. And so I think that the core reason of why nuclear families have come is the optimization towards accumulating wealth and having children, right? And the core reason behind best friend, and there is upside, is life insurance. Well, if something happens, you're gonna like 
help me out, you know, and vice versa, I'll help you out. So there's, whereas other people are like, no, nah, mate, I'm busy. <laughs> uh, so to me, I think that that's uh, the cleaner articulation. Now there is the upside, you, you can, you know, support each other and you can help each other grow. But why people really want one, in my opinion, is based around that life insurance side of things. So having a best friend is nothing more than risk mitigation. There you go. Well, the core reason, so I think you can have a lot of it. So I think that I now have multiple friends that are in the relax thing, multiple friends that are in the party thing, multiple friends that are in the sort of, what is the best friend thing, Jane? Um, Mm. And so to me, I think that the core articulation of that used to be, you know, life insurance, you know, Uh, but then there's multiple (laughs) people that are in the self-actualization bucket, Jane. Multiple yeah. people that, are, that you can talk about, like I call them counseling friends. Some friends you just, you know, whatever, for some reason, you just have some, you often end up in some D&M. Do you know what I mean? It just happens. Mm. I don't know why. Mm. And it's not like everyone. And I still, you know, but it just is. And so to me, if a best friend, I suppose, maybe was the everything partner that is, you're not having sex with, right? <laughs> From before. And the other, you know, life or partner or it was the one you have children with, you know, and the, the, the story was that they need to be the best one, right? Otherwise, you don't want to stick around. So if you just didn't like them, you, you F off, right? <laughs> so you want to make the chance you want it to be around them highest. Therefore, you want all these other things as well, right? And then mm. also, if they're really good at everything, loving, making money, you know, caring, then they're probably going to be better at you know, making stronger children. So, mm. yeah. So um, now I didn't quite make the distinction around your, um, your historical notion of the, the tribal chief and the meritocracy and then the... The, the leap towards a nuclear family and having a life partner. So I didn't quite really get how okay, so that what, helped what define. What optimizing the number of humans is, is whatever happened, right? So when we were hunters and gatherers, the survival of the tribe was done by who was the best leader. <coughs> so the leader of the tribe was the leader's son or whatever, right? It was the next best person. Um, and then we went from working for nature to making nature work for us, i.e. we started farming, right? and we had potatoes and we had whatever cows. And so then the people that did the best, because you could accumulate wealth with farming, right? Inherited the most, because they had a better starting point from those who inherited less. Right. And so instead of being in a tribe of 150 people, you went to a nuclear family where you were trying to bequeath everything to your children. And so who was the leader? Well, the king's son, right? Um, and so the idea of a nuclear family came after, they say, the ag- invented or you know, agriculture. It didn't exist before. And then the idea of you know, love or whatever and the everything partner is a sort of descendant of that. So whichever stories optimize the number of humans won, not whichever there were best stories. Um, and then we conflate chicken and egg, if that makes sense. Mm. So for me, like, so one of the original articles that sparked this conversation that Duncan shared um, from Farnham Street called The Evolutionary Benefit of Friendship. And so like when we talk about what friendship or what the role friendship played from an evolutionary perspective, um, what they posited was that this created diversity of, um, I guess, of, of information and like not knowledge, but like the ability for you to survive. So they would give the example of that if you had a saber-toothed tiger, then you would have someone who might know how to hunt the tiger, you would have someone who might know how to stay safe from the tiger, you would have someone else who might know how to cook it if you actually did catch it. And so there would be all of these different um, relationships that would provide an enriched environment where you could stand to benefit from those and whatever you brought to that as well. So it was this kind of like 
um, you know, what they posited, which was the reason why Homo sapiens uh, became dominant was our ability to cooperate. And our cooperation was more than just this tribalistic element, there was also that individual relationship piece as well. And to me, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, if you're not the strongest animal on the, on, you know, on the grassy plains of, um, of the jungle, then having, you know, what we would call today friendships would make you, I would certainly help in your abilities to survive. So I do see there being some survival uh, aspect. And mm. yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, so like, which foods taste the best? The ones with the highest calorific count, you know, potatoes, chocolate, whatever, right? Which ones taste the worst? The ones with the lowest calorific count. Why? Because we used to starve to death all the time. We didn't die from overeating, which is what happens today. So we went from a deficit of food to abundance of food. And now we've got this wide in program called eat everything you can. The best foods are the most high calorific, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> when you walk near a cliff, you get vertigo. The people that didn't get vertigo walked off the cliff, right? You didn't choose this. Okay, so the people that were able to cooperate to the best outdid the other ones who weren't, right? And so there's part of this like community. Um, and so when you feel this kind of like caring <laughs> for others, it, it literally releases oxytocin, right? So the more you care, the more oxytocin goes off. And typically caring done well means they care for you. And, it, and therefore, if you're caring as a group, the bigger your group, if it's 10 of you versus two of you, then the 10 people win on average, right? And so there's literally wired into our source code, just like the food that you know is the highest calorific tastes the best, or just like walk near a cliff and get vertigo. The more you care, the more oxytocin goes off. And the more you care ultimately, generally, the better your relationships are and the bigger your quote unquote community, right? And so inside of our source code is cooperation. The people that cooperated the best won, and then there's a biological program called oxytocin, which is caring. <laughs> and so you look at, uh, look at your kids and they make it, you feel warm, right? And you care for them and mm. it fires off oxytocin. So you need to understand like, whatever is in our biology, what was, what was built for survival. 100% of the time you have to mm. back it to first principles. Um, and that's why I say, where do these stories come? You know, it's always like, what's the story that maximized humans? That's it. Our biology is built to maximize the number of humans. <laughs> very, yeah. Well, yeah. Why, does, why does sex the best thing that you've ever felt? So you want to go and do it, right? If it so felt like go cutting it. off your leg, no one's doing that, right? Can you imagine? So like, 200 years ago, everyone was eating gruel the whole time. Like horrible food. Like now, food is awesome. It's great, you know. And they, you know, had bloody no teeth, toothbrushes, and whatever else, you know. And still today, you know, despite the food being awesome, sex is still normally the best biological feeling most people have ever felt. Can you imagine it when you were living in cold, no, no warmth, you know, no washing, you know, food was crap, and it still felt that good? The skip change difference between what the best biological high was two years ago and, and sex is may higher than today, and you still want to do it. Why? Humans. You want to do that, you know, a lot, and then humans come out of it, you know? So Must procreate. Yeah, correct. <laughs> you know, it, it feels good, you know? It's like, yeah. <laughs> so that's why. More humans. So I, I have another, um, like, posit on what the utility behind having friendships are. And it actually, it's not entirely original. I'm sure it, um, most people are familiar with the quote, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And for me, so when I think 20% of... 20% good and 80% bad. Ha, ha, ha. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll spend less time talking to you then. Whatever. Uh... <laughs> yeah. But what 
to me that implies is the the relationships or in this case the friendship you choose also help form who you are or who you become as a person and so if you think about it in that way it's like kind of like what Duncan said before like you know what to me constitutes a good life well I want to have it you know filled with this many relationships or friendship chocolate you can also you can also think about it chocolate sex yeah. <laughs> you, could, you, you could, I would posit, think about it in the similar sense of like, who do I want to be? What kind yeah. of person do I want to be? And you could yeah. then say, well, who are the kind of people like that? And how do I get to spend more time with them? And that, to me, is a very interesting way to think about friendship. Now, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. There's nothing to suggest that I want to become any more like Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> but there are... There are definitely semblances of Duncan's character that I would have to admit that I admire um, beyond that which I enjoy simply by hanging out. And, yeah. you know, you, you think about all of the different ways in which we enjoy spending time together. You know, from the early years, it was based on highly, highly competitive, um, you know, interaction. But it was also, um, we had very similar interests. We were, um, our idea of fun was highly aligned, I would say. Oh, yeah, we definitely pushed each other massively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And But then that's where this idea of, well, I feel like that I have become a much better person because of the time I've spent with you. Hmm. Well, so I'd say like there's the sort of downside and adding upside. Let's just call it that, right? Um, so to me, yeah, um, let's say you love what you've cared for. Um, so therefore you can love an inanimate object. I'm pretty sure everyone has an inanimate object that they love, right? Um, okay. And so my father, this is old Subaru from 1982. It's like not worth <laughs> 500 bucks, but he's, it constantly keeps it alive. It should have died like a decade ago, but he gets it in new seats and he gets it in new transmission or whatever else it is, right? And he cares for it. He loves it. He's, he said to me, it's like an old dog. Um, and so to me, oh. this is really interesting. You love what you've cared, you, uh, you, you love what you've cared for. Um, now the strongest story is about caring is probably around children and family, right? Unconditional love means no matter what, that, that you love them. So if, if you're hanging out with a friend and they're having a tantrum, you're like, pull it together, mate. You know, <laughs> what, what are you doing? Do that too many times and I'm not gonna bother hanging out with you. Hanging out with your kid and having a tantrum, like, how can I help? This is an opportunity to care. So it's the same thing. One is like, nah, I'm out. The other one's like, ah, oh, love, you know? <laughs> uh, and so it's, it's really, really super interesting. And so to me, um, I think you can add upside. Uh, as well. So it's not just caring and being there if something in life goes wrong. It's also helping them grow and, and perhaps mm. be able to do things they wouldn't have otherwise been able to do if you weren't around and, and vice versa. Um, mm. So I talk about biological-led happiness and thought-led happiness. Eat chocolate, are happy. Cuddle, are happy, right? Biologically. Thought-led happiness, get an A on the test, get a promotion, are happy. But then those are external, internal thought-led happiness. Help somebody, you know? Create a piece of knowledge for yourself that you think is interesting. Um, and so to me, um, it's just really interesting. Like, yes, there are all these systems about caring, but you can care for humans and non-humans, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, mm. And so I think this downside caring removal, I'll be there if shit, shit hits the fan, or upside caring, I'm gonna build something that didn't exist beforehand. Mm, mm. Yeah, so like, caring for inanimate objects, is um, it's the key. My, they, they don't ever change. <laughs> don't care for humans. They're bloody part of the arse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can understand. It, um, you know, the, the merits there, like there's definitely um, things that I could um, think of as the same, maybe notwithstanding my iPhone. But, 
one of the things um, that I think it was Aristotle talked about, uh, or what he mentioned was, there's no such thing as an unrequited friendship. Ooh. And and I find that really interesting because what that um, like what my interpretation of that is is that a friendship is is like tacit validation of you as a human. Right? There's someone else out there who says like. I find you acceptable as a human being <laughs> and I want to spend more time with you. And that, like, while I definitely agree that, uh, you know, uh, internal motivation or um, implicit um, value is super important, I think as a human being, there's always going to be that external version of it as well. And having a friend, I find, is one of the most potent forms of external validation. And it's it's that idea of like, you know, no man is an island. Like, you know, light can't exist in a vacuum. So by having a friend, you kind of get this idea of what is my... Light can't exist in a vacuum. It's called space. You can't can't see light in a vacuum. Yes, you can. No, you can't. In space, you can see light. Only if it bounces off something. No, if it's going straight at you, you can see it. Yeah, it's bouncing off your retinas then. It's bouncing off anything. It, it, it's bouncing. It, it, it's bouncing off your retinas. <laughs> Why don't? Okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> right, Keep going. This is this is quickly descended into an <laughs> argument over. <laughs> but no, that, that, that's that's kind of like my point though is that um, I I think friendship is actually a, a form of validation of who you are as a person. Okay, so I wrote this um, three years ago, and this is meant to be sort of from sort of like moving downside to adding upside the eight friendship relationship activities. One, stop me from being bored or lonely. Two, entertainment slash relax time. Three, shared interests slash passions. Four, discussion with the purpose of learning. For instance, as an example, this is partially this podcast, that. Five, a shoulder to cry on, reactive support. Uh, six, um, reactive problem solver. That someone's like, not just a shoulder to cry on, just like, here, give me a hug. Uh, but it's like, oh, hey, mate, want to talk about work and what I should do or romantic relationship. Then there's seven, we'll provide unprompted feedback. So this is actually not reactive, proactive. Eight, mm. counsellor. So this is a problem uncoverer and solver. Uh, and then nine, builder. E.g., we're going to build a family together or we're going to build a company together. So it goes from kind of like, I don't know, just make sure I don't have loneliness to, holy crap, this is a new earth sort of thing. And so to me, that's a different <laughs> lens to, I was saying, relaxed partner, party partner, etc. And so to me... I think you want to have all of those types of friends, relax friend, party friend, activity friend, best friend, friend, you know, laughter friend, sex friend, you know, parent friend, if you're having kids or you know, whatever, but you also want all these other things and inside of them, you can have this. So to me, um, yeah, I think I could conceivably be happy if I was only hanging out with myself, but it would be, the likelihood would be wildly lower than if I was able to hang out with others who are good others, right? Because mm. a bad other is worse than no other, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, mm. But slowly over time, I think, I've got more and more, I don't know, positive some friendships in my life and I'm in a better relationship with myself. And so to me, it's, it's really interesting um, shifting with this. But then I realized also beyond that, because I'm in relationships with other things like knowledge, like building Ed Rollo, like some I'm inanimate objects, Joan. And so to me, I've expanded the scope of my ability to care. I've expanded mm. the scope of my ability to help. Um, so to me... If you don't care about anything, then I think caring leads to meaning. And without meaning, your life is meaningless. Now, you shouldn't care about things all, day, all hours of every day, right? But yeah. not, not zero hours. And so I yeah. suppose I had a very narrow aperture of using the word before of caring. 
only mm. about humans and only for a small amount of the time, you know? And I yeah. think by myself, I wasn't caring for myself. I was getting lonely and FOMO, you know? And so it's, it's interesting, but now I care about Ed Roller. I care about writing blogs. I care about, I don't know, these shelves that I'm getting built for myself. So, yeah. <laughs> Doug has suddenly taken a, a huge uh, uptake of Yeah, you've been demoted below the shelves, all right, James. <laughs> in, <laughs> interior decoration. In the hierarchy of caring, you are below <laughs> the shelves, yeah. Am I above the rug though? Come on. Oh, the rug's pretty sweet, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so um, like for me and what you said, it comes back to this idea of having a relationship with yourself first and then what you can build on top of that. I think um, John Gray, um, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, um, has some thoughts on this, which is your partner, and in this case, we can we can use your, your friend, doesn't make you happy. They can make you happier, but you're responsible for your own happiness. So you, your relationship with yourself with that foundation, that first layer of being able to achieve happiness, and then those relationships you build on top of that can make you happier, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've heard this before, and I'm not so sure I subscribe so much. Like, I honestly feel that the chance of me being happy if I had no friendships might be 10 or 20%. Like if I was mm -hmm. put on a desert island or something, right? Um, and I just, you know, or no, I just like no, if I had the internet, if no internet and no friendships, game over. Like it's going to get past go, right? Um, but um, I think that it's like the, the layering together, right? And let's just say that I can say you've got 10 close friends and you've got like other friends, but you're not really that close. And I don't spend like, I don't know, that James lives, you know, and spends a lot of time with his family, as you say, 90% of his non-work time. Um, there's nobody that I'm spending that much time with. Um, but together, that I think that, you know, most days I'm good. I have good and bad days. And so let's just say that, I don't know, 90% of the time I'm good, 10% not good. Hmm. And I think that it's not that I need to see a person in that day to, for it to be good. But if I see them once a week or whatever it is, or like hang out with mum, the, the layering together means my life is good if that makes sense. Um, mm. And if you took them all away, those close 10 people, I'd probably go from 9% of the time I'm good to like 30% or something, mm. you know? But I don't, again, I don't need to see them to get the, the hit and then it wastes. It's this kind of sort of perpetual motion machine. Yeah. Mm. So um, back to the topic of sex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, what some research have shown is that there is a very similar biological reaction happening when you're cultivating friendships in that when you know i think you mentioned like you know cuddling feels good like those biology oh, yeah. things but, but but actually um just by hanging out with someone you like they've shown can increase the release of oxytocin so yeah. it seems like the body has in built in it a reward mechanism for cultivating friendship now what if this is not something that you know we inherently like i i i watch with great interest uh, my children figuring out how to make friends, right? So it's not like intuitive to you, us immediately how to make friends because like I, I think when you're, you know, um, you're five years old and you're starting to go out into the world, you're still highly egotistical. And so at least in my observation with my children that they want everyone to do what they want to do. There's not this idea of collaboration but they still want to have friends. So there's this highly charged desire to make friends, even though you're, you're this quite self-centered individual. And so what I think 
is happening here that the body has an inbuilt programming to make you want to build friends because then you get that reward mechanism um, because then that helps you become a better person. So I think like by having friends, you, be, you actually improve who you are as a person because now you know how to interact with others. And I just find this like an, ins- an insanely, um, you know, uh, clever system built into us that plays itself out from the moment where you know, running around in playgrounds or if we were in the, the tribal village <laughs> back in the, the early days of mankind. Yeah, as I said before, like it's built into us that collaborating well, aka caring, releases one of the happy hormones, the three main ones, mm. oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin. Um, and oxy is the love hormone, you know. And that's, that's good. But then if you want to keep hanging out uh, and caring more, like to me, because eventually caring is, is in some respects this is the, the sort of downside. They stop me from being lonely, but also all the way up to building. You know, you can have this stuff. And so to me, I don't know, every hour I spent with James, you know, you used to sort of run out of things to do when we were 10 or whatever, and you'd have to play Nintendo or something, right? Um, whereas now, we don't need external stimulus to be able to spend time, uh, if that makes sense. Like this is, we're just talking here, and we could talk indefinitely. I mean, I've got a meeting at the end of this, which I can't. <laughs> but to me, um, you can care in a, in a way that's selfless and selfish, um, in a way that's creating knowledge. Like when we're talking here, like, I don't know, 50% of this I've, I've thought of before or, or read from somebody else, and 50% I'm just sort of realizing on the spot, um, mm. which is really interesting. <laughs> and then you sort of, so to, anyways, the, the point is, is that I think growing, removing downside and ending upside is, I think, a good friend. But I think you can care about, like, again, an idea, um, a company, uh, uh, some, yep. you know, whatever else it is, right? And th- those things can have similar outcomes. So if, what is a friendship, right? Well, there's, there's just be having fun. There's having fun plus caring. There's having fun plus caring and helping, you know? And there's having fun plus caring and helping plus unconditional love. And I think you can do that for humans, like a child. You can do that for an idea, like, I don't know, Einstein and a theory, right? You can do that for a company, um, I don't know, Steve Jobs. Um, and so to me, it's really interesting. Um, effectively, relationships is just caring times helping <laughs> times you know, how much pain you're going to go through, right? And hopefully there's some fun on the top. Um, mm. And so I suppose I've got a broader engagement with, with something that is quote unquote a friendship. <laughs> Whereas at school, when I was learning maths, we were not in a good relationship. Like whilst I got okay results at maths, I did not like hanging out with maths. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it was not something I wanted to do. Um, and so to go away, me, and now, now I like you. hanging out with work, you know, um, well, yeah. not all the time, but majority of the time. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Duncan. I think we've covered quite a lot in this in this jam packed hour. Did you want to start off the summary? Me. Uh, all right, sure. Um, I think I said said it there. Um, look, I think um, I, I just was wafting along. I think it is life, and Keegan's developmental theory, and, and you have society um, sort of get you to socialize mind. The vast majority of people get there, but to get beyond there, you have to push yourself beyond there. Society doesn't get you beyond socialized mind, and so then there's self authoring, self transforming. They say that the people that are self-transforming, 1% of society gets there, and they're the people that make the values that, and the new ideas and new knowledge mainly, right? Um, and so to me, a big part of that is thinking, well, who do I want to be? And who do I mm. want to hang out mm. with? But more than that, mm. can I affect those who I hang out with? And the answer, in my opinion, is it's possible. Now, you should be wanting to try to affect some others, but probably not all others, do you know what I mean? Sometimes I'm hanging out and I'm not trying to affect them. Maybe it happens passively, but not actively. And so mm. some of the times that James and I hang out, this is active. I was like, dude, I want to do this thing because I'm honestly not finding it very rewarding talking about nothing um, with you like on the phone. I'm not saying I never want to do that, but that was all it was. 
And so there's, I suppose, maybe let's say 50% of the time with James, it's actively trying to grow our friendship and ourselves and 50% of the time just passively hanging, right? Mm. And then the different types of friends, relax friend, party friend, blah, blah, right? Um, and then the different types of things from stop me from being lonely, etc. So to me, I think you should do all those things. But I think also, yes, you should have days of relaxing. Yes, you should have days of play. Yeah, but you should also have days of purpose. Um, and I suppose you could be in a relationship with purpose um, at a sort of meta level. And I think hopefully you are. And hopefully the relationship is rewarding. Um, mm. And so to me, I suppose, what are friendships? Well, they're relationships, right? And relationships mm. don't have to be attached to humans. But I think you can try to think about what you want them to be and also what you want to be. And if you mm. do, I hope you can build a better life than just hoping for one. Mm. Mm -hmm. So key takeaway, you can't see light in a vacuum. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you don't wish your but friend a happy birthday, is, you can't see light if there's nothing for it to bounce off. But you can be in a vacuum where there's something to bounce off because a vacuum means there's no air. Anyway, yes. whatever. <laughs> if you don't wish your friend happy birthday, you're a bad friend. Yeah. And Duncan seems to have a underlying agenda of making it socially acceptable that his shelving unit constitutes a friend. Well, I'm in a relationship with it. Happens to <laughs> on the relationship of like importance from first to last, you're below the shelves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so, what what is a friend? I think um, to just be as simple as possible is a relationship that you want to cultivate because you enjoy time with that person, or in Duncan's case, inanimate object when you spend time with it. Um, why have friends? So, I think for me, it seems like it has a, a, a very utilistic element from an evolutionary standpoint it has helped us survive because i find that it is based on that element of cooperation and so we have you know these reward receptors built in us to encourage the cultivation of friendship you know when i have a good time with someone i feel like i feel that reward fire off um, you know within my brain with the release of oxytocin and all those other things but then i also see how it helps me develop and grow by spending more time with these individuals, like Duncan as an example, like with my family, my partner and my children, it shapes who I am. And I find that immensely rewarding and beneficial, but ultimately enjoyable as well. So while um, you know, being friends with myself first, I do think is, is vital to a stable lifetime relationship with myself. It's not the be all and end all. Like, I think I agree with what you said, Duncan. Like if I was just by myself for the rest of my life, it, prob it would probably not be an optimal situation. Mm. <laughs> um, it really is going beyond that and building, you know, really enjoyable, rewarding relationships with the people that I work with, with the people that I hang out with, with the people that I choose to spend my life growing a family shelves. with. And shelf, <laughs> and the thing that ideas, I put things and on. And companies, and ideas, you know, and organizations. Yeah. You can love like a football team, as yeah. an example. That's fine. Well, I think that's true, and you're in a relationship with it. Seriously. Yeah, and yeah. and and I'm sure you're in a very abusive relationship with your doormat because you just walk all over it all the time. <laughs> well, that's hey. good. <laughs> right, cool, you, you, you good? <laughs> I, I got to run to a meeting. Yeah. All good. All good. I think we can. All right, thanks, we James. Can call it. Good chat. Right, uh, went and all of those who didn't do it. Um, we will we will try to do this more frequently. Um, all right. See you all Be soon. Bye. Bye.